I tell you what, where else are you going to get entertainment like that? That's, that's the best you're going to see all week right there. Uh, let's give God praise once again for all the kiddos. Absolutely. So good. So, so good. They do a great job, and uh, another way of worshiping uh, this morning on a, on a musical morning here at Hope Des Moines. We're so thankful for all that God is doing in our children's ministries. Thursday night with our Wiz Kids program, Sunday mornings with our Hope Kids, and then all throughout the week with our downtown preschool as well. We're so thankful for them. A couple months ago, uh, our two kids that sang at the last service both go to preschool here and, and uh, are here a lot as pastor's kids. And our youngest daughter, Evie, who's almost three, we pull into the parking lot here at church and we drove in and she kind of looked around and exclaimed from the back seat, we're home! And I was just about to correct her, and then I went, no, she's actually right, isn't she? If, if only every single one of us had that response every time that you drive in the parking lot to say, I'm home, this is where I belong, and that fits right in with our goals for every single one of your children, whether they're here for preschool or whether they're here uh, on Thursday nights or Sunday morning, all the way that we reach out to kids in our community here. There's three goals that we have. Number one is that they would be safe, both physically and spiritually, and we take that very, very seriously. Number two is that they would have a blast, that this would be home to them, that they would have so much fun that they would invite you back, even when you don't want to come to church. They say, I want to go because I have so much fun on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights or whenever you come. And last but not least, that everything that we do for your kids is laser focused on Jesus Christ, unashamedly. That's why we do what we do is to make him famous and to have a blast. And so we love to have them come up. Sometimes we forget about the awesome work that we're doing. I'm so thankful for, for Jamie, our children's coordinator here uh, on Sunday mornings with Hope Kids and all throughout the week, as well as our awesome preschool staff and all the teachers. So let's thank God for the staff and the teachers once again as well. So as we transition into the message this morning, it fits right in. It's just a musical morning today. And so to kind of get the blood moving uh, a little bit, let's jump into our feature film for this week as we continue our sermon series, La La Land. Let's take a look. All right. Man, that doesn't get you excited. I don't know what does, right? I, you put that up there. Let's, I think we should do it. Should we have stand up? You know the choreography now. Let's, let, I'm just kidding. That would be a lot of fun, though. So this iconic scene from the beginning of La La Land as well. I know, I know we're Lutheran Church of Hope, and so all of you were dancing in your heart. I know that's what you were doing, just tapping along there, because we don't want to get too excited uh, as well, but a lot to be thankful for this morning, this fun opening scene to this film, La La Land, which is our feature film today as we continue on with our sermon series called Faith in Film. We've been looking at the intersection of faith and cinema. And so today we're looking at La La Land, but to give you a picture of where we've been, where we're going a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, Lady Bird last week. We looked at Wonder Woman uh, as well. And then next week we're excited. Uh, Lion is a great movie if you haven't seen that uh, as well. Netflix actually called us and said, whatever you're doing at your church, our, our ratings are skyrocketing and people are downloading all these movies the next week as we give you little teasers. And then a movie I'm sure none of you have, have seen or heard about is The Greatest Showman. Uh, and that's on May 5th and 6th. So we invite you to, to, to think about some people in your life that maybe you're like, I'm not so sure about this whole church thing. I'm not so sure about this whole Jesus thing and normally wouldn't come, but you could say, hey, we're watching movies in church. Like it doesn't get any better than that. So invite them and maybe one of these will speak to them as well. But you look at that iconic opening scene and you think what starts as a normal everyday 
traffic jam, something that we all experience, especially iconic to L.A., turns into an all-out dance party on the interstate. And yes, they really did shut down uh, the interstate there in, in, uh, in L.A. for several hours to film that uh, as well. But one moment you're dancing your heart out and you're filled with joy and passion, and the next moment you're right back into an endless traffic jam with people honking at you and angry drivers yelling obscenities at you. And it's kind of like life. I mean, we can, in fact, somebody interviewed the, the writer and director, Damien Chazelle, uh, for this, about this opening scene that you just saw. And he says this, the opener not only sets the stage for the setting of the movie, but the, really the plot of the movie. And he says this, which is a dance back and forth between joy and pain, between beauty and affliction, just like any day in L.A., totally unpredictable. Man, just like any day in L.A., how about just like life? Just like our lives. So even if you don't like the film, I think there's a reason. Even if you don't like musicals, I, I don't really like musicals. The first time I went to a musical with my wife, because I didn't really watch any growing up, because I, I like guy movies and sports movies and, you know, you know, war movies and things like that. And we go to a musical and I look over at my wife and I go, why are they singing everything to each other? Why can't they just talk it? They don't have to sing a song to each other. And so I'm the last person you think that would like a musical, but I love this movie. And here's the reason. I think it speaks to us on a deeper level. There's a reason that La La Land uh, was nominated for 14 Academy Awards. Now, they didn't win the biggest one, the Best Picture. And you remember the famous flub, right? La La Land. Oh, wait, no, they won Best Picture for 37 seconds. And then Moonlight won it as well. You talk about the highs and lows of life. It's the story of this film. But tying it for the most Academy Award nominations ever, what is it about some of these movies? I think it's this. They're telling us our story. The reason we love movies, the reason you love the, the books you love, the, the, the movies you love, the, the music that you listen to, you like it because it's telling you something about the story you're in right now. It's telling you something about the, the life that you long to live, and if you would listen to your heart, you'd discover something about yourself. It's telling us our story, this time through a young couple with big dreams. And so first you've got uh, Mia uh, over here, uh, played by Emma Stone. A lot of you recognize uh, her, but she's this aspiring young actress who, uh, in the film, she plays the role of Mia, and she quits college a couple, after a couple years, and she moves to L.A. She moves to Hollywood to do what a lot of young women uh, dream of, is getting in a movie, is making it big, and being on a TV show, and, and, and maybe even someday she dreams of writing her own plays and musicals, but all she's done so far Really, the story of the movie is one failure after another. And she keeps going to these auditions and, and getting denied and getting rejected. And so the closest she can get to Hollywood is being a barista at a coffee shop near the Hollywood set. And so she has these big dreams and goals. And in a similar way, you've got Sebastian on the other side, played by Ryan Gosling, is a, a gifted jazz pianist with big dreams as well. And, and he longs to open his own jazz club uh, someday. But all he can manage so far are some low-level gigs at some restaurants around the holiday time is playing Jingle Bells and Santa Claus is coming to town when he's got much bigger goals and aspirations. And so they connect and they start dating and we're going to watch in this next scene as they end up at talking a little bit and they decide to go to one of Sebastian's favorite places, which is this jazz bar. And watch what happens when their two stories collide and they start to talk about the very nature of jazz. But it's not just about the music. It's deeper than that. Take a look. Two different people two different stories and yet one thing in common, they are desperately trying to find their place and their purpose in this life. And I think if we're honest, we're no different in this crazy, mixed up, unpredictable world. 
We're no different. There's no coincidence that the kind of the, the Sebastian's love, his passion of his life is jazz music, and he's this incredible pianist, and it's no coincidence that the whole story kind of revolves around jazz as well. And so I wanted to set the mood uh, a little bit and just the nature of the story for jazz. Uh, some people don't know this, but I took piano lessons for eight years growing up. I haven't really uh, unleashed this talent on you. I don't want to show up the worship team uh, or anything like that, but I'll stick to preaching. But I did want to just set the mood for the sermon uh, today uh, a little bit. And uh, I've been practicing a little bit. There's a lot of great piano songs in um, in La La Land. And so I just wanted to set the mood and set the stage for the rest of the sermon. There's a song called um, uh, City of Lights uh, as well that's, uh, that's in, the, in the film. And so I wanted to just play a little bit of that. Some of you will recognize it from the movie, but wanted to just set the stage for the rest of my sermon uh, here. So in Jimmy Fallon fashion, I'll give a, give a big head nod here when I'm ready to, ready to play and uh, just set the stage here. So and a one and two. I know, don't be overwhelmed, okay? <laughs> you know, jazz is uh, interesting. Kind of ebbs and flows. There's major and minor keys. And well, I can't stay here forever. I got to preach. So, um, you know, I get really fired up to, to preach. Um, and it's one of those things where you just got to feel the music. It's like your hands don't even have to touch the keyboard. You just... You just feel the, you just kind of feel the music. I, you know, I come to think of, I got to preach, so I get recorded a little bit from before. There we go. Play that before. So just to kind of keep, yeah, thank you. I know it's overwhelming. Um, just recorded that yesterday. So something about jazz is you hear the music as there's major and minor keys. As you look at a piano, there's, there's white notes in, that kind of give off a, a happy vibe, but then there's those those dark notes, there's those black notes in between that you can have major and minor keys in the same music genre and the, the same song. And it, the thing about jazz is it never re resolves. Like you thought the music was fading down there and then you just hear it right there. It, it, it just amped back up, right? You never wear, know where it's going. It's wild and it, it's unpredictable. And, and you can go your whole life and pretend that the, the music's not playing, but it is. Life is jazz music. That's what Mia and Sebastian have discovered in the movie as well that life doesn't resolve, does it? It's happy one moment. There we go. Just wanted to end it over there. You just never know where it's going to go. And life is the exact same way. And you saw in the clip, Sebastian embraces it, but just like a lot of us, Mia can't handle it. She wants everything to be tightly wound and in control. It doesn't make so much sense, but life is like jazz. It swings from one emotion to the next, and rarely does it ever make sense. You grow up with a heart full of dreams. Some of you had a dream of what you wanted to do someday when you grew up of, of a job that you wanted to have, and now you're stuck in a job that's just paying the bills, and you're like, there's no life in that. Some of you remember the day that... Uh, the day you got married, and you remember the jazz music was playing, and you were so excited, and you were madly in love, only to find a couple years later that you're a broken person that married another broken, messed up person as well, and some of you just stop pursuing each other, and so it turns to a minor key. Some of you experience the joy of discovering that you're pregnant, and like a lot of couples in this church, it swings to a minor key when you realize the doctor tells you, well, there is complications with the pregnancy. 
On the other hand, some of you have experienced the joy of children, and we've got gobs of kids around here, and it's really exciting, but then the music swings and the jazz song swings to the minor key as you realize these kids are driving me crazy, and I have no time for myself, or they, they grow up and they make decisions and, and painful decisions that hurt you and your family that you don't approve of, and, and life seems out of control. Yeah, sure, we get a glimpse of joy and beauty and pleasure here and there as the music swells and it's happy and you, you go out and, and hit the town with the, your, your girlfriends or with your guy friends or you go on a trip or an adventure, but then you come back and then it's like real life smacks you in the face and it's like, oh yeah, I got laundry to do. I got bills to pay. I've got relationship drama in my family. That's jazz music. That's life. There's white notes, but then there's black notes all along the way, moving from major to minor key in the same song. Some of you have had really good experiences with church, and some of you are just getting back into it because you got burned, and you've had a bad experience with church, swinging from major to minor key. This isn't just about jazz music. Jesus actually speaks to this very thing. Jesus is a big, big fan of jazz. Here's why. Look at these two verses, both from the Gospel of John, two very different sides of life. Let's read this together. First over here from John chapter 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And you know that, that that's Jesus' heart for you? Not that Christianity and church would be some dull, boring, dry religion, but Jesus says, not in a sarcastic way, in a real way, get a life. <laughs> get, you want to experience real life? You want to get filled up and be satisfied? Jesus says, it's only found in me. But then six chapters later, listen to what Jesus says now. Let's read this together. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus is speaking directly to what this film, La La Land, is all about. It's jazz. I think the Christian life is jazz. It's wildly unpredictable. It's beautiful and painful, and it never completely resolves this side of heaven. And so it seems that we have two options. When you, just like you heard earlier, when you hear the music playing, some of you are like, it's not really there. I'm just going to pretend that doesn't exist and just have a positive attitude. But the music keeps playing, doesn't it? And it ebbs and flows. Or we can learn to find life in the middle of it. And so what I want to do today is, using the rest of the, the story of La La Land as kind of a roadmap, I want to highlight three main ways, three big key ideas for you to learn how to find abundant life in the middle of the ups and downs and the unpredictability of life. Essentially, as a follower of Jesus, how do you learn to love jazz? Because the music's all around us. How do you learn to love jazz? The first big key idea is this. I want you to remember three things. So if you're writing the, keeping notes, write this one down. The first big idea is don't overlook your pain. Let's say that together. Don't overlook your pain. Don't overlook your pain. The, the story of La La Land is, 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 is uh, Mia and Sebastian experiencing pain and heartache and setback one after another. Here's the thing, though. I believe from an early age somehow we, are, we get in our heads that somehow life is about avoiding pain at all costs, that we should avoid failure at all costs. Something inside of us, even as we grow up, tends to think, well, if I'm going to find that fulfilling and satisfying life that Jesus is offering, then I'm just going to try to avoid setbacks and, and failures uh, at all costs. And as a young woman, that's Mia's worldview in this movie. She reads and, and, and she writes her own play, actually, and it's kind of, she spends her life savings to rent out the theater, and she puts her heart and soul into it for almost a year, and it's the night of the play, and she thinks it's going great, and she's up there on stage, and she's poured her heart into it. Her big dream, she's right there, only to turn on the lights in the theater and realize there's like five people in this massive theater. Some of you have been there. 
in pursuit of your dreams and goals in life, and you just feel like you completely hit rock bottom. Some of you just feel like you're not good enough today. As a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, as a coworker, you've stood on that stage in life and felt so utterly ashamed and vulnerable that you're not good enough. And that's exactly what Mia feels as well. She's broken and dejected, and so instead of leaning into community and relationships, she runs away. She goes home, literally, to her parents' house, and she runs away from everything that God's called her to do. She runs away from Sebastian. Unfortunately, Mia doesn't realize, as a lot of us struggle to realize, that failure doesn't have to be the end of our story, that it's not going to ultimately define her. And she runs away. But scripture gives us another option when we experience setbacks in this life. Check it out from Romans chapter 5. Paul writes this. We can rejoice too. Let me read that again. We can rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Everybody say endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. Everybody say character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, everybody say hope. Hope will not lead to disappointment. Now, some of you have heard that verse before, and, you're, and before you write it off as some sort of cute little inspirational quote that you have on a, your magnet on your fridge or you see on somebody's wall or at a church, oh, that's cute, thanks, Paul. But that's really a verse for people that, whose lives are fine. Don't forget Paul is writing that to the church in Rome from a jail cell. So if anybody has a place to speak, it's him. Paul knew a little something about the nature of jazz. It ebbs and it flows, and there's major and minor keys. But here's the problem. Somewhere along the line, we have convinced ourselves and we believe that when we experience failure and pain and setbacks in our lives, that somehow that means we're on the wrong path. That somehow setbacks and failure in our lives, or when we experience suffering or pain, that somehow that's when God is the farthest away, that he's left us, that he's abandoned us. Some of you really believe that. Oh man, life is really hard right now. God must be mad at me. First of all, that's nowhere in scripture. And secondly, nothing could be further from the truth. Paul actually says, I've actually learned to rejoice when trials come my way because of how God uses it for good, mainly to draw me closer to him, to strengthen my trust and my hope in God. Some of you are experiencing pain and you're in a really difficult season of life right now and you're just like, I can't wait till it's over so that I can get reconnected to God. God's like saying to you this morning, oh, no, 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 no. This is the time that you need to be listening and paying attention to. I want you to think back over the years. No matter if you're younger or older, we've all had these moments in our lives. Think right now in your head, just between you and God, a couple of the most difficult moments of your life. Those moments of pain or difficulty or rejection or suffering. When you were angry at God, think about those moments. And I know it's so hard to, to you're not, you definitely weren't rejoicing in them at the time because you have tunnel vision. But when we can step back and see the, the whole forest and not just the tree that's in front of us, we realize, oh, wait a minute, God was there the whole time. And I would imagine as you think about those moments in your life right now, that those were actually the times that you grew the most and caused you to dig deeper into the heart of God. Here's the thing. Success doesn't cause you to grow closer to God. Not by itself. 
Popularity doesn't cause you to, 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 to dig deeper. Success doesn't cause you to dig deeper. Everything going well for you in your life doesn't cause you to dig. Having more stuff and more wealth doesn't cause you to dig deeper. You know what causes you to dig deeper towards God? Pain. Pain. Because some of you have experienced that and you've hit rock bottom in your life. And maybe that's the reason you came back to church. It's like, I don't have anywhere else to go. And some of you have realized this truth that when God is all you have left, you realize he's the only thing you ever needed in the first place. Amen? When God is all you have left, you realize he's all you ever needed. That's because C.S. Lewis writes this. One of our favorite Christian authors around here, we quote him a lot, he says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. The problem is we don't always listen because we think that pain equals the absence of God. Instead, listen to how David talks about this, actually, in the Old Testament. And if you think about, oh, David, he's the one that hit Goliath. He's the little boy. He actually became a king, but he spent most of his life running for his life in the wilderness and the desert from people that wanted to kill him. But listen to how he talks about his suffering and his pain and his setbacks. He says this in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. God, I didn't make you a priority in my life. I didn't press into you. I didn't need you. That's why one of the most dangerous things is I hear Christians talking. I would be much more concerned if somebody comes up to me and says, John, I'm really struggling in, in my sin. I feel ashamed. I feel terrible for what I've done. I've messed up. I've screwed up. Like, okay, we can work with that. God can absolutely work with that. You know what's a lot more dangerous is when I hear Christians say, I'm good. Oh, I'm fine. Life's great. Because you know what? <laughs> We just convince ourselves that, well, maybe we don't need a savior. Jesus says, that's not why I went to hell and back for you. That's not why I died and rose again is for you to be fine. You need saving. You need saving. It it draws us closer to you. David says, I didn't didn't go looking for the pain. I mean, look at verse 71. It goes on. He says, it was actually good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Pain drew me closer to the heart of God. Don't avoid it. Don't overlook it. Paul and David are not not, uh, glorifying pain. They're not wishing pain on anybody, but they've learned to not run from it or overlook it. They've learned to embrace it. Remember this very personally for me 10 years ago. This April, this Easter marked my 10th year here at Hope, believe it or not. And I remember when I started just this 25-year-old punk kid that had no clue what he was doing and had no right leading a church, but somehow I ended up here, and a lot of you dealt with, you know, terrible sermons for the first couple years, uh, and you're still dealing with that uh, as well. Uh, but I remember, I, you know, I thought I knew it all and everything, but in his wisdom, our senior pastor, Pastor Mike, hooked me up with a coffee with uh, Pastor Michael Hurst, who's another pastor here in town at Elam Christian Fellowship downtown, which is primarily an African-American church. And I don't tell you that because it's different. I just say because it gives you context for his character and his story. And, and uh, I met with him. He's been a pastor for over 30 years. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to encourage me. He's going to challenge me. He's really going to fill me up because I was feeling a little stressed out and overwhelmed with the responsibility of, of leading a whole church by myself. And so we sit down for coffee. And those of you that know Pastor Hurst is, is just one of a kind personality. In the first five minutes, he's just asking me questions about how it's going and, and a little bit about myself. And then he just looks at me and just shakes his head and he smiles and he says, John, Pastor John, mm, Pastor John. I'm like, who is this guy? And he's like, Pastor John. And then he just says this. He just looks at me and goes, mm, Pastor John, you got to get some blood on you. 
come again? What? Yeah, you got to get some blood on you. He starts pa- put, packing up his coat, putting on his jacket and covering up his coat. We've been there for five minutes. Like he's going to leave. He said, you got to get some blood on you and then we'll, then we'll meet again. And he just walks out. It was the shortest coffee meeting I've ever had. He just left. And I was ticked. I was like genuinely offended. Like, who does this guy think he is? Get some blood? What? What does that have to do with leading a church? And I'm like, I need some context for this. So I go to Pastor Richard, who's on our staff, who knows Pastor Richard. I said, he told me to get some blood on me. Like, is he weirdo? Like, what is he talking about? And Pastor Richard goes, oh, no, 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 no. I've got that talk before. Here's what he means. He would love to get coffee with you again after you failed. After you've hit rock bottom. After essentially you get over yourself. Because then and only then will you have the humility to listen and receive what he's actually trying to tell you and what God is trying to tell you as a leader and as a pastor and as a husband and as a father. You gotta fail. There's some things that you can only learn the hard way. And I look back over the last 10 years and think, man, that might be the most important five-minute coffee I've ever had. <laughs> the only five-minute coffee I've ever had, but one of the most important. you got to hit rock bottom. You come to that place where you're not fine, <laughs> whether it's personally or professional, and, I, and there's been both over the last 10 years. I think about the times that I've grown the most is when my marriage is not doing so well, and I have to get up here and stand up here and preach in front of you, and so many people put pastors up on a pedestal, and I got... I got some really maybe earth-shattering news for you. We're humans. And my wife and I have had arguments on the way to church, and I'm not the greatest dad all the time, and, I, and sometimes I yell at my kids, and I feel terrible about it, and sometimes I make mistakes. I've had people that have hurt me, and I've hurt other people. But I will tell you this. I've got some wounds, and I've got some scars. Battle scars from life. You might say I've got some blood on me. And so a couple months ago, not a lot, big part of my role now as we've grown as a church is to mentor and coach other leaders and our staff here. And I was meeting with a younger leader here in the church who's leading one of our ministries. And I was hearing him talk about what he's going through. And I just like looking at him, shaking my head going, man, there's some stuff that only, I didn't say this to him, but I'm thinking there's some stuff that only you're going to learn by like doing it, like trying something and failing. And then I'll coach you on what you did wrong, what we could do better next time. And I'm just thinking, and then it just popped into my head. And I looked at this younger leader in his 20s and I just shook my head and I said, brother, you got to get some blood on you. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, trust me, you'll, you'll understand later. And I think, <laughs> I think back in the times in my life, because of the pain and because of the mistakes and because of the things that we failed at, personally and as a church, I'm a better husband. Not perfect, but I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend and a better pastor, not because of our success as a church, but because of our failures. And I think the same is true in life because I've started to run to God in my pain instead of away from him. And some of you, when you're hurting, is when you leave the church. Oh, I got this going on in my marriage. I got this going on in my life. I'm not going to show up at church. Hey, hate to break it to you. This is exactly where you need to be because we're all hypocrites. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We all have issues. So how do we learn to find life in the midst of the minor keys of jazz music of life? I would challenge you, number one, don't overlook your pain. But secondly, the second key, if you're keeping score at home, is this. Don't play it safe. Everybody say safe. And you hear the word safe, you think, oh, that's a positive thing. But here's the thing, as we go throughout our lives, because life is jazz and it's unpredictable, a lot of you have concluded at some point in your life that dreams are for kids. 
That as you grow up and become an adult, you got to get serious and you got to have responsibility because life, is, life has got to be predictable and, and under control. And of, of course, you still have dreams. Some of you still have dreams of getting married or having a family or having that one job or, or achieving success in some way. Some of you are saying, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to sing. I've always wanted to pursue a career or make a difference in the city. But you know, we all know adulthood is about getting serious and putting our dreams aside. Or is it? And so as we go back to the film, you'll see right in the middle of her fear and her failure, Mia's run home. She's run away from her hopes and dreams. But thankfully, she has somebody in her life, Sebastian, who loves her enough to come after her and speak the truth in love that, yeah, she's got some blood on her. She's failed miserably. But that doesn't have to be the end. Take a look. Do you have anybody in your life that would come after you? Do you have anybody in your life that that is willing to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Because there's a lot of you that are sitting here this morning, and you've never said it out loud, but I guarantee you're saying in your heart this morning, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't love God enough. And for sure, your Father in heaven is saying, yes, you are. 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 Do you have people in your life that are willing to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? That's the definition of a friend, and every single one of us needs that, to lift you up when you fall down. One of the things that Satan, our enemy, loves to do is that when you're down, to keep you down, to convince us that the fear of failure, the fear of putting your heart out there just isn't worth the risk. I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. I'm not going to pursue my dream. I'm not going to pursue that relationship. I'm not going to re-engage emotionally with my spouse because, well, it hurts too much. And consequently, the thief steals our joy, which is exactly what Jesus says in John 10. So back to the full verse. He says, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy, and boy, does he ever. He stole some of your dreams. He stole a lot of your passion. For Jesus, for Christianity, and some of you are just going through the motions. I'm fine. I'm good. I can't tell you how many people I hear say, I'm good. I'm fine. But you're not. And that's okay, as the point is none of us are. Don't let him steal your joy. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I wonder if one of the enemy's greatest tactics isn't to get us caught in sin in moral, in, in, in sinning and, and moral failures. I wonder if one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to get us to live small, dull, boring lives. Because if you're living a small, dull, dull boring life as a Christian, you are absolutely no threat to the kingdom of darkness. You're not building the kingdom of God, so you're not going to pay any attention to you. And if we're living small, dull, boring lives, of course we're not going to pursue our dreams because I don't want to get hurt anymore. Jesus says, that's not why I came for you to play it safe. I went to hell and back and I defeated sin and death and the power of hell so that you could have life, like really live. Yeah, you're going to get some blood on you along the way, but it's a part of this experience called life. It's, it's a part of jazz music. It ebbs and flows. Life isn't a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to live. And some of you are living Christianity like it's a math problem. And if I could just get this figured out and get my life lined up perfectly and control everything, then I'd be happy. And I hate to break it to you, that's not jazz. That's not life. It's never going to line up perfectly. Some of you are saying an adventure. <laughs> let's, let's get real. Like Adventures and dreams are, are for kids. 
Maybe this morning it's time to let God redefine what an adventure is for you in your life right now. Maybe the adventure for you is allowing yourself to put down your roots, you and your family, and be a part of a church family and be known. Maybe the adventure for you is, is maybe you're not in a dream job, but maybe if God's dream for you is to be fully present in the job that you're in and to love the people deeply where you're at as if God has you in that job for a reason, because he does. Maybe the most godly, risky calling that you could engage in right now is to emotionally engage with your spouse because some of you got married and you stopped dating. You want to go on an adventure? You want to be a world traveler? Explore the adventure of your wife's heart. Explore the adventure of your husband's heart. Learn to listen to them and understand them. You want to go on an adventure? You want to be bold and courageous and make a difference? Lead the kids that are under your roof in your family. Learn to disciple your children that were up here earlier. They are watching you. What does a Christian look like? That's significance. You don't have to climb the ladder at work to do that. When I leave church every day and I go home to my two kids, that's my real calling. Because if I succeed as a pastor and if we succeed as a church, but I failed as a dad and as a husband, then I failed. And the same is true for us. Maybe God's big dream for you is the people that are sitting next to you right now. That's the most important calling you'll ever have. Maybe God's big dream for you isn't a title or position or success. Maybe it's maybe it's love. You know that verse we heard earlier from 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, Paul didn't write that for cute wedding ceremonies. I mean, it works for that. Oh man, but it's so much more. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Because if there's not love, if there's not relationship, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And that's where La La Land ends as well. As the film nears its end, Mia and Sebastian, they go their separate ways and they actually live their dreams. They make it. They arrive. Mia goes into Paris and, and, and becomes this world-renowned actress and becomes popular and, and rich. And she meets this other guy, not Sebastian, and marries him. And she's got everything. And in the same way, Sebastian goes on, on tour with this professional jazz band and they make a lot of money and he buys his big house and he opens his own jazz club. Everything he's ever wanted to do that they talked about at the beginning. They have arrived and they have everything except what matters most and that's each other. So in the final scene to the movie, Mia and her new man, her new husband, stumble into this jazz club in L.A. that happens to be Seb's. Sebastian's, and watch what happens as they lock eyes in the final moments of this movie. And they have a dream in this dream sequence of what might have been if they would have made the relationship the priority. Let's take a look. The director was interviewed about that look, those last moments. And he said, I guess you could say in a way they both won, but they also both totally lost. And there's a lot of controversy and different ideas people have about what the message of this movie is at the end of the day. Well, here's my take. Success will always feel empty if void of relationship. Whatever your definition of success, whatever your definition of happiness in this life is, 
if you don't have this relationship figured out with the God that created you and the relationship with the people around you, it'll always be empty. The final key this morning, don't avoid your pain. Don't play it safe. And finally, don't miss the point. Maybe the people around you are the dream. Maybe God is saying in terms of the church this morning, this is the place, these are the people. Start living today. That's why we talk about in terms of relationship and loving people well. At some point in your church life as an adult, you've got to move from rows to circles. And some of you are just missing it because you continue to just come. And that's great that you come, but life is found in circles, not rows. When you do life together as a family and as friends, you don't sit in a row. You move to circles. Join a group. Take a class. Join a team. If you're too busy for deep, rich community, you're too busy. But this goes deeper than marriage or romance or even human relationships. Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He says, What good will it be for someone to gain the entire world yet forfeit their soul? That's the story of Sebastian and Mia. They made it, but you could see it in their eyes at the end of the film. It's never enough. Because the point was, as they were chasing their dreams and climbing up the ladder of success in this life, all that mattered was right in front of them. And I would challenge you today to think about not just the human relationships that are right in front of you today, but the God that is right in front of you. You can chase your dreams. You can have a perfect family. You can have perfect kids that go to a perfect school and excel in sports and academics and arts. You can have the perfect life and accomplish everything you want in this life. But if you do not have a living, breathing, daily relationship with Jesus Christ, you will always feel empty. You will be left unsatisfied. Want to learn to love jazz? Don't overlook your pain. Don't play it safe and don't miss the point because he's what you're looking for. Faith, hope, and love. These three things remain. And the greatest of these is love for the people around you in your life. And most importantly, a relationship with the God that created you. He's what you're looking for. One thing remains. That's God's love for you this day. And that, my friends, is how you learn to love jazz. Amen? Let's sing about it. Let's stand and worship together. One thing remains.